0: Welcome to The Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about The Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen, amen, amen. You can have a seat, church. Well, good morning. How are we? Got one? Okay, we'll get there. It's all right. I guess a little early. Well, good morning. We're, uh... Week two of this short series, we call it Jesus for All. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can go and turn to Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 5 here in a minute. But Jesus for All, and really the point is, is that Jesus is for all. It's in the title, right? We try to make things pretty simple around here. don't like to do a lot of overthinking. But Jesus for All. And the theme verse we're kind of going back to, which we saw last week, is Mark 2, verse 17, when Jesus says, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't call, come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so I used to say that regardless of your baggage, background, and bell bottoms, Jesus is still for you. But actually, bell bottoms have been very popular recently, which some things shouldn't be brought back. I'm just saying. Amen, I knew that would get one. The point is, Jesus is for everyone. Anyone can come to Jesus by faith. Romans 3 tells us that there is no one righteous, not even one. It also tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is where it's a sticking point is, because all means everyone. That means all of us are in the same boat. We all have this sin issue that we're helplessly stuck in. But we all think, for the most part, that we're generally good people because we compare ourselves to people that we think are worse, right? Like, we can all name some pretty bad people and compare to them, I'm doing all right. But then that is very flawed when compared to Jesus. You see, Jesus is a standard. It's perfection. And I can't even make it through a morning in perfection, right? Let alone a lifetime. But the beauty part Jesus says in John 3, that for God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one only son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal everlasting life. Everyone. Doesn't say, unless you've done this, or unless you're this person or from this place. It's everyone, all people, all the time. Anyone can come to Jesus trusting that his sacrifice is sufficient for all who believe. And that's the crux of this series that we're going through. And so setting that up brings us to Matthew 8. And what we're looking at is people from all types of backgrounds that experience Jesus. The unlikely is what we're looking at. So last week we looked at disciples. Unlikely. This week we're looking at the centurion. And so if you're already there, Matthew 8, we're starting in verse 5. It says, when he, this is Jesus, when he entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is at home paralyzed in terrible agony. A real, little background. A centurion was a high-ranking Roman soldier, usually commanding a group called a century, ranging from around 100 soldiers. And soldiers were appointed as centurions by way of virtue, bravery, Character, loyalty, and even skill in battle. So you can see how centurions would have been widely and largely respected within the Roman community, but they were largely reviled within the Jewish community. Which makes this encounter with Jesus both unlikely and undoubtedly uncomfortable for those who are following Jesus. And this goes back to the Jesus for all series. And see, this man, this man of war, the centurion, now came to Jesus as a man of worry. Obviously caring a lot about this servant of his. Luke 7 is a parallel account of this passage. And Luke actually says the servant was sick and about to die. And around this time, word was spreading about this miracle-working Jesus. And so this was the centurion's Hail Mary moment. Again, I tried this football analogy last week. We're going to continue to stick with it till you guys start liking football, okay? Hail Mary, right? The game is about to end. There's one last chance. You're on the 50-yard line. You just got to throw it deep and hope someone catches it from your team and scores a touchdown, right? Have you ever been there? In your walk with Jesus, in your walk in life, last-ditch effort, nothing left to hope for, this is it. Well, this is where the centurion finds himself. Helplessness. Helpless to help anybody. Expect this servant that he cared so much about. It's amazing how God will allow you, like he does this centurion, to become helpless in order to bring you to humility, which then produces faith, realizing I can't do it. Whatever it is in your life, you have to come to the point where I cannot do it, which creates a call for help. So this man does. He goes to Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew twenty-three, "Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted." It's amazing this man's humility, this centurion. And you see two ways of his humility being displayed. One, his humility in acknowledging his need for help. Fellas, how do you do with that? Men are the worst. Asking for help. The worst. Just this week, I was over at a friend's house, and one, this one guy that was there had to remove a trailer from his hitch, heavy trailer, and he was about to die killing himself before he'd ask me for help. So I let him to kill himself. Now, I walked over. He's like, yeah, man, I just don't ask for help. Like, that don't make you manly. That makes you stupid. But for real, like, we, it takes a humble posture to Ask. For help. And this man, this centurion, was a man's man, right? This man knew how to fight, fierce in battle, loved football, loved the Niners, obviously. I mean, this guy was a man's man. Sorry, we'll get, we'll get there. But notice the urgency of his request. Carries the weight of someone begging for help. And so he comes to Jesus. And so in humility, acknowledging his need for help, in humility, acknowledging who the helper is. Do you notice what he calls him there? Lord. That's interesting. The centurion calls Jesus Lord. This would have been a shocking statement from a very unlikely individual because of the day Caesar was the Lord of Lords. No one else was Lord besides Caesar. And here he comes to Jesus and says, Lord. Acknowledging his authority as master. In a true Jesus fashion, Jesus was asked, A question which seemingly has an obvious answer to reveal this centurion's heart posture. Look at verse seven. Jesus, it says, he said to him, "Am I to come and heal him?" It's an interesting question. Like how how you would have answered that question. Like, uh, yeah, that's why I'm doing this whole thing before you. I would like you to heal my servant. Yeah. But it's interesting that this question would lead to an amazing display of faith that we're still talking about 2,000 years later. And so if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Amazing Faith. Amazing Faith. This question peeled back the layers to show the centurion's amazing faith. Look at verse 8. Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. I love this. One, this statement of humility, I am not worthy. This is where we ought to come to when we recognize who Jesus is. Our unworthiness in comparison to Jesus' holiness. It reminds me of Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision of God. With these angelic beings called seraphim flying around God's throne. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. Three is important. That complete holiness. I've heard it said, holy, holier, holiest, right? And when Isaiah sees this vision, he's struck with God's holiness and his unworthiness. Where he cries out, woe is me because I'm a man with unclean lips. When we encounter God's presence and his holiness, we see our neediness, our incompleteness, and our unworthiness. That's what the centurion is saying here. Also, the statement of authority he gives, he says, just say the word. You don't even need to come. You just say the word and I know you can make it happen. Acknowledging that the power of Jesus' authority is not limited by his Proximity. This is so key. Jesus has all power, all the authority. And so those moments when we go through life and it feels like God is so distant, you're still not beyond his reach. And the situation you're in is not beyond his power. The centurion, as he acknowledges Jesus' authority, he knew authority well based on his own position of authority. Look at verse 9. He says, "For I am too a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one go and he goes, and another one come and he comes, and to my servant do this and he does it." This is interesting. In this statement, the centurion is acknowledging two truths that we can't miss. Number one, his own allotted authority. It's a chain of command for those that have been in the military, right? That he has authority because of those over him. Allotted authority. So really he has no authority of himself. His authority comes from those over him. Many of you know before the Lord called me into full-time ministry, I was a full-time firefighter. And before, immediately before I came into full-time ministry, I was the assistant fire chief at our fire station. And so I had authority. But really, I don't really have authority. Because where did my authority come from? The fire chief. So they feared the fire chief, so they listened to what I said, right? I don't have any authority. It came from those over me. So he was saying the same thing. I recognize authority because I have a lot of authority, but my authority isn't like your authority is what he's getting at. So number one, he recognized his a lot of authority. Number two, he recognized that Jesus has all authority. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's a lot of places. Right? That just about covers it. All authority, everywhere. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, in referencing Jesus specifically, says, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This Jesus has all the authority, all the time, unchanging, and will remain. It's interesting, in recognizing Jesus' power and authority, the centurion comes with his worries and his fears, humbling himself before Jesus, who he knows saves. That's my question for us. When fear and worry slip into our lives, does faith seep out? What faith looks like. When fear and worry slip in, does faith seep out? And faith, I mean, it's been twisted in many years now. Faith doesn't mean that you get what you want, but rather God can give what he wills. I'll say that again just so you don't miss that. Doesn't mean just because I ask for it, I get it. Just because I want it, doesn't mean I'll receive it. Doesn't mean that you get what you want because I have faith. It means that God can give what he wills and you recognize that he can do what he desires. And we trust him. No matter if it looks different than what we would hoped for, we trust him. This is what John 5 14 really tells us. It says, This is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. So it's according to his will we pray and we seek and we trust. But what do we come with? Like, what do we pray to God for? Is, it, is anything too trivial? I would say no. I would say you come to Jesus with everything. I've heard it many times. Well, you know, God's too busy. You know, God doesn't care about this or that. He has other people who are doing worse things or need more help than I do. You need some help. Let's just trust. We all need some help. Let's be honest. But it's the relationship that we have with God as Father. Romans calls it Abba, Father, right? Daddy. He desires for us to come to him. He's not a far-off, distant God. He's a personal, relational, close God to anyone who calls out to him and for him. 1 Peter 5, 6 tells us to humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him. And here's the crazy part, because he cares about you. This is God. He says, come to me with all your cares, all your worries, all your anxieties, because I care for you. And this centurion has such amazing faith, especially considering who he is. Someone who has very little faith or little knowledge, but he knows just enough about Jesus. But maybe even more amazing and this man's faith is Jesus' response. Look at verse 10. It says hearing this Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. This is an amazing statement. And this word it says amazed here we see used one other time in Mark 6. And Jesus was using how amazed he was at people's lack of faith in his own hometown. So you got him being amazed at lack of faith in Mark 6 and him amazed at how great a faith of this centurion here in Matthew 8. So my question for you and for us this morning is when Jesus looks across the scope of your life, how will he be amazed? Will he be amazed at your great faith or your great lack of faith? What makes this centurion's faith even more amazing like we talked about, is his limited knowledge, especially compared to the nation of Israel. And this is the comparison we see here. Jesus turns this moment into a teaching moment. So he turns from the centurion and turns to those following him. And so let's talk about this for a minute. Let's have a conversation. See, the Israelites were God's special group of people that he chose to reveal himself to and through for his glory and for the good of all nations, all peoples. Yet the same people who knew so much about God so often displayed an amazing lack of faith. For many, this meant that they had facts that never turned to faith. They had facts they knew about God, but they never knew God. They never transferred into life change. And the scary thing is there's many people in churches are gathering all around the world today that really fall into two concerning camps. Number one, people who know a lot about Jesus and yet don't know Jesus. Know a lot about him, but don't know him. James speaks directly to this point. In James 2, verse 19, it says, you believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Just because you know some stuff about Jesus doesn't not mean you know Jesus. Has it transferred to faith? Trust. Do you really trust him with all of who you are, all of what you have, all of your time? Do you trust him? This is the goodness of the gospel. Because we understand the gospel. How can you not understand the goodness of God? Meaning God created all of us. Whether you believe it or not, I don't care. It doesn't change the truth that he did. God created you just as you are, perfectly, wonderfully made, yet you have this sin problem that has separated you from God. Me too. We've all born into this sinful condition that we've been separated from God. And to make things worse, we're helplessly stuck in it. But there's good news. That God did something that we could not do. Came down. Jesus lived the perfect life that you are Incapable that I am incapable of living to die the death that we were supposed to die, that we deserve because of our sin. He took it on his shoulders. We just sang it. Died in our place, conquered sin and death, was God's stamp of approval. Say yes, the payment is accepted and it satisfies. And so now, everyone who trusts that, yes, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, yet Jesus died for me, and somehow, I don't understand it fully, but his blood covered my sins, and I've been forgiven because of my faith in the forgiver, and I have new life in Christ Jesus. From that moment on, that your facts turn to faith, you are called born again, is what John 3 says. New creation, a new life. That old person is no longer alive. You are now new in Christ Jesus, forgiven, redeemed, and now called a child of God. And it starts in the moment you believe and lasts forever. And yet so many know this and yet still don't accept it. I just don't, I don't understand. We make so many excuses. I'm going totally off notes and this is always dangerous. Maybe you're till till 2 p.m. It's amazing to me that we make so many excuses. Oh, now I gotta stop having fun. Like God's some kind of no fun police. He created football. to say more. He's not anti-fun. But you just are liking more the things that he loves and hates the things he hates. The gospel's for everyone. My question is, do you believe it? Or do you just know something about it? Life change happens when you truly shift your faith from yourselves to your Savior. So, anyway, we have people around the world right now who know a lot of facts but have no faith. Number two, there's also people with genuine faith but are extremely fragile in their faith. Something like the continual roller coaster of faith and fear their life looks like, right? The, the faithful, the fearful faith, the trust in Jesus the next moment, the fearless faith because I'm trusting in myself. And it looks like this all the time, right? I have faith, not faith. Faith, faith, fear, faith, faith, right? We're fragile in our faith. I just want to say this. Fear and worry should be check engine lights of your faith. Either your faith is shifted in the wrong place, From your Savior to yourself, most likely, that's when fear slips in because you realize, oh my goodness, I can't control this. You weren't meant to. It's a battle of the mind. The spiritual war is a battle in the mind. St. Corinthians 10.5 tells us we take every thought captive, every thought captive to obey Christ. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so in those moments where you tend to drift towards being fearful, worry, stressed, in those moments you have to remember that God is faithful, reliable, dependable, and completely able to handle anything you're going through. Do you trust him? Because where fear creeps in, because you don't trust. You trust yourself more than the Lord himself. You know, it's amazing some weeks that when I'm studying and doing some research and this time that we have together, come across random things, things I never really desired to know, end up being pretty interesting. So there's this thing called a graveyard spiral for pilots that can find themselves in this very dangerous situation when flying. What this thing is, it usually almost always happens at night or when the horizon is not visible when flying. You see what happens, they they think they're going level winged. But in reality, they're slightly banked, either to the left or to the right, doesn't matter. But they don't realize it. But when they do realize, they sense something is off. The pilot feels like the problem is what they call a wing's level descent. It means going straight but going down. That's what it feels like. And so the corrective action for that is to pull back, right? Pulls the plane back up. I mean, I'm not a pilot, but that's pretty easy for me. The scary thing is, is that when they're not actually in a wings-level descent, but in a, a banked descent, pulling back is the last thing you want to do. And yet, that's what they do. Because what it does, it tightens the spiral and increases the rate of descent. So how do you prevent a graveyard spiral? It's monitoring the airplane instruments before you even get there. Trusting what's been proven to be reliable, dependable, completely able to help you pilot the plane. So how does that correlate? When life happens, it's easy to lose the horizon in the darkness that life can bring sometimes. Maybe it's just me. Listen, I know that we as a church are going through some things right now. Some dark moments, marriages that are struggling, that the darkness just overwhelms you. Addictions that you just cannot knock. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, and these addictions that feel like they're conquering you, the darkness, that's all you see. Loss of loved ones, past, present, even pending, coming loss. It just sucks you in, and you lose the horizon because of the darkness around you. Listen, I can tell you in those moments, you need Jesus, no doubt. This is who you need. You need Jesus, 100%. But you also need a co-pilot, You need someone else with you. By co pilot in life, I mean you need another Christian who loves the Lord and who loves you. Someone you can be transparent with, accountable to and for, real with. Because you weren't meant to do this life alone. I go back to Genesis. You know what the first problem that man saw that he had, that God showed him? It wasn't sin, it was aloneness. God did not create him to be alone. He did not create you to be alone. He created us to be together. And this is especially important these days when the culture keeps trying to push the church to be isolated. Worship from home, meta-universe. I'm not against online streaming, praise God, great resource, but it doesn't replace gathering. We were called to gather, and then we scatter. We need one another. You need the church, and the church needs you it's amazing this, Jesus is amazed. Because he is not amazed by the awesome things you and I do or have done. He's amazed by our display of faith. Example today, after worship, we have an amazing time to be a part of an amazing display of faith in baptism. Today's Baptism Sunday. And so we, we're going to celebrate what the Lord's done internally, by expressing it externally through water baptism. Now, I'm going to give you a primer. If you have not been baptized, we're going to give you an opportunity today to respond. I don't care if you believe right now or 10 years ago. If you have not had been submerged after faith, because that's what baptism is, it's a display of faith, I'm praying the Lord brings you to that point today. And we're going to celebrate and go crazy about it. It's an amazing display of faith. I love Billy Graham's quote. It says, God will not reward fruitfulness. He will reward faithfulness. You stay faithful and let God produce the fruitfulness in your life. And Jesus saw that this centurion was full of faith or faithful and was amazed. And notice he turns to the crowd and to those following him. And Luke 7 says there's Jewish leaders who are following him. He says, I've not seen a greater faith in all of Israel than this centurion, this Roman soldier, this pagan Gentile sinner of sinners had such great a faith. This must have knocked these people out. How dare him? He goes on to say the internal outcome. He teaches them as an example what faith looks like and the eternal outcome of this type of faith. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, I tell you that many will come from the east and the west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, God's kingdom is often referred to this banquet or great celebration. When I think of banquet, I think of a lot of food. That's why most galleons we have, we're going to have some food because it's biblical, okay? That's what we do. It's a great celebration. But in other words, what he's saying here is that knowing facts about Jesus, like the Jewish people had, does not save you. Faith alone in Christ alone, by God's grace, does. That's it. That's it. You're not going to do enough things or know enough things. It's where your faith is, saves you. I'm asking, do you have faith that saves? Because when you stand before God one day, he's going to say, basically, why? Let's just say, hypothetically, why should I let you in heaven? Why should I let you into my kingdom? If you say, because I, you're already wrong. It's because Jesus. Jesus paid the price for your sin so you can live with him forever. The point is that the gift of God's grace has been extended to all people. This is the comment he makes from the east into the west. This is all nations It's been extended to all people. My question is, do you believe that God's grace has been extended to you? Because if you do, you have to receive it. It's interesting, the prejudices and the self-righteousness of Israel often blinded them to the reality that God has always been and will always be for all people. This hasn't changed, and they act like somehow the Gentiles were far from God and could never come to God. That was not the point at all, and it never had been. Isaiah 2, 2 says, in the last days, the mountain of, of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. That's all peoples, of all peoples, of all groups of peoples. Psalm 17, 1 and 2 says, praise the Lord all nations, glorify him all peoples, for his faithful love is, to us is great. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever, hallelujah. And so let's look towards, in Revelation 7, we get a picture of what it looks like around the throne one day. It says, in John's vision, as I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, from all peoples, tribe, tongue, people, language, which no one could never stand before the throne and before God. And so my caution for us is let's be careful not to slip into the self-righteousness that we see so many of the Israelites, the Jewish people had. Because we can slip into that right now. We can see people with their backgrounds and their baggage and there's no way that this way this person acts can ever come to faith. That was you and I at one point. That person who could never come to faith. Yes, God did it in us when we received it. Let's not count out anyone. Be ready to embrace in a gospel way all who want to come to Jesus. We pray for it every morning. We have a 9 a.m. prayer meeting with our serve team. And every morning, we ask that whoever walks through these doors feels the presence of God in this place. Whoever, I don't care who it is. Whoever. You can think of the worst, vilest person. If they walk through this door, God's doing something. And let's be ready to warmly welcome them. And as we're sent out, because we're in close with the commission like we do every Sunday, as we go into the, our communities and our workplaces, are we ready to encounter those that we think may be so far from God they are beyond his, beyond his reach? We need to know they're not. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And so he talks to, Jesus talks to those that are following, and then he turns his attention back to the centurion. Finally, verse 13. It says, Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. This is amazing. As you have believed, See, this centurion came to Jesus knowing that he could heal, not knowing if he would, but trusted anyway. And yet God did it. See, I think our faith sometimes, we're used to seeing God not move, I think. Because we miss so many times God actually moving that all we see is things not happening. And it can get us to where our belief is so small. Do we believe when we pray? Do we pray bold prayers knowing that God can? Don't know if we will, but we trust either way. Think back to this past week. If God was to answer all your prayers, what would that look like? How many people would come to Christ because of your prayers? How many people would be fed because of your prayers? How many people would be healed because of your prayers? If God were to answer them all, what's your prayer life look like? Are we praying these bold prayers that only God himself can do something with? We talk about a lot around here who's your one who's the one person in your life in your spheres of influence that is far from God is rejecting Jesus are you praying for him it starts with prayer I love the account of Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in Daniel 3 you may not know this account but here Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon established this big statue and there everyone everyone's to fall down and worship when the music played well, it's a problem if you follow the Lord because he will have no other gods besides him. idol. And so these three men refused to bow down. Well, in that point, Nebuchadnezzar said, listen, you will bow down or you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. We know this, most of us know this account. But what's amazing about this is their response. He says, listen, these guys, they say, listen, If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from this blazing furnace. And he can rescue us from the power of you, king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up because they still knew there was only one God. So we know he can. We don't know if we will. It doesn't change our faith. How about you? This is amazing faith. No matter what we go through, is your faith shift? Because when it starts shifting to fear, that's a check engine light that our faith has shifted to ourselves. God is able. Hebrews eleven six tells us, "Without faith, is it impossible to please God." So, where are you at this morning? Have you come to faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? and true life that's found in him alone. Because if not, what are you waiting for? I'm just going to be honest. Like, I really try to dance around this sometimes. Dry Lake's really sweet. I'm just going to ask you, what are you waiting for? Why? What is holding you back? I mean, I've heard these prayers like, Jesus, if you're real, do this, and he does it, and we still don't believe. Like, it's never enough. You will never have enough proof in your life. Do you believe it or not? And What is holding you back? I'm asking God to reveal himself clearly in our hearts and really come to faith because faith changes you. It changes our hopes. It changes our desires. Knowing the love of God will change you. And we're able to love him because he first loved us. And his love is shown by action in the work of Jesus. Is there no greater love than this that he laid down his life for you so that you can live? And here's the beautiful part. You don't have to do a thing. It's already been done. It's do you have faith or not? Do you trust that Jesus paid the price for my sin? Do you see that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Then you come to him with your sins, with your garbage, with your background. You can't clean yourself up enough. You come as you are and let Jesus do the rest. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to invite our band back up, and this is what we're going to do. I'm not going to call you up front. We're not going to do anything strange. But our band's going to come back up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing. But as I pray, I'm just asking you to deal with what God is doing in your hearts right now. If he's revealing to you, I really don't have faith, but I want it. Well, that wanting is knowing that you can have it. And that's simply, God, I don't know how this works. This is you right where you are. But I see that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and I know that your sacrifice counted for me so that I could live with you. I believe it, and I'm responding to it. This is what faith looks like. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? I don't care how many times you've been in church throughout your life, have you ever put your faith in Jesus? I don't care if you've even been baptized before, and now you realize, man, I don't know if I actually had faith. I did not. Put your faith in Jesus. I don't care what family environment you were growing up in, put your faith in Jesus. I'm going to take it a step further. Because again, today's Baptism Sunday. If right now is your moment of salvation, right now, the first time I've trusted in Jesus for the salvation, for the forgiveness of sins and new life that's in Christ Jesus, right now, if that's your faith, you can be baptized today. Over and over again in the Bible, you see faith, where's the water? Because it's obedience and following Jesus as Lord. Jesus was baptized to set the example of his followers to go and do. Then he told his followers to go and do these things. As we close, there's one more centurion I want to remind you of. Acts 10. The centurion came to faith by the preaching of Peter. See, the centurion sent for Peter. And Peter shared the gospel with the centurion. And all the centurion's family and friends. And what happened next was amazing. They all believed. Isn't that incredible? They believed, and then they were all baptized. Faith, baptism. So listen, if you're responding today, if you're responding to faith, we would love to pray for you. If you're responding, like, I need to be baptized, where's the water? We're going to do it today. We're going to have a prayer team over to the side. You come and see us. We're going to pray for you. We have, listen, we've tried to eliminate any excuse that you may have not being baptized. We've got baptism bags for you. We've got it taken care of. All you need to do is say yes to the Lord's prompting. You respond to what God's doing in your life. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to respond. And as we respond, we're going to sing another song. And that may mean for you, you can pray with us during that song. Maybe you sit there and pray, just settle what the Lord's doing in your life right there in your seat. Maybe you need to gather with some around you and just pray together. For many of us, maybe it's just singing and praising God because he alone is worthy. You respond to what God's doing right now. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so grateful for who you are. What an amazing, amazing privilege it is to be known by you and to know you, Father. And Lord, right now I just ask that you continue to remove these barriers that we've put up in place to prevent us to come into you in faith. Show us how faulty our faith has been and how much we need you. And how amazing your love is that you would pay the price for our sin, the the price that we deserve to pay, the death that we deserve. You stepped in and saved us from and extended the gift of salvation, the gift of your grace, the gift of your love to all who would receive it, Lord. So right now I ask that many receive your amazing love. And for the others who have been walking with you, help us remember how amazing your love is and build our faith. Show us areas where we become faithless, trusted more in ourselves, and return to our Savior. Lord, restore our faith, build our faith, give us faith, because you are the author and perfecter of our faith, so we come to you and ask you to fill us with your spirit, lead us by your spirit, continue to remind us of your goodness and your grace, Father, and change us. Continue to make us more in your image. Father, we thank you. Lord, move in us and help us to respond to what you're showing right now. We pray all this in the most powerful name, the name that is above every other name, that is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer, or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.